Greetings, welcome to the Asana Kitchen podcast. I'm David Garig. I have an announcement. Uh, on July 22nd, my Yoga Sutras course begins, and I'm inviting everyone to join in. Um, you can get information on my website at www.davidgarig.com. I'm giving 10% of the proceeds to the PPC, the Plastic Pollution Coalition, that are fighting um, to get uh, raise awareness and curb single-use uh, plastic. All right, so to me, the ahimsa, the first yama of the first limb of yoga, it needs to be like constantly in the conversation now. How can you use yoga to meet the circumstances you're encountering now? With social media and just the climate of everything, conflict is looms large in our lives. Seems to me larger than, than ever. And, and that is the subject of ahimsa, and that's the subject of the foundation of yoga. I myself am undertaking a practice of keeping ahimsa close to me, the, the meditation upon it. I recently got into a conflict um, and partly triggered um, the things that I want to talk to you about here. And then also I read James Hillman's article called Betrayal that um, I'm going to provide the link for in this that is also a source for this um, kind of conversation about ahimsa and like, so defining ahimsa and, that, and remembering that yoga, no matter what uh, context, so if it's philosophy, so like the ahimsa is coming from the yoga sutras or whether it's hatha yoga, it's always practical, okay? So that's something to really remember that yoga is like looking at life the, the challenges of kind of meeting life um, skillfully and soulfully um, and lovingly and trying to give practical uh, guidance in every circumstance. Okay, so ahimsa is, is that. It's practical, which means the opposite of aggression or conflict. And it comes out as non-harming. I think that as yogis, we can get this ideal that, that, we, that ahimsa means to avoid conflict and that somehow we should shy away from it or behave so pure, with such purity and such wisdom that we never harm anyone. And that, and that that's what it means to be a saint or to be a realized person is you're so pure that you don't harm, and then that, and that's what the ideal we're striving for. And I don't think that that's the practical reality. The practical reality is, is that conflict is part of being a human being, and that all human relationships inherently contain conflict. And so to be in a human relationship is to have conflict. It's just that simple. And the universe is not being mean in setting up the conditions of life this way. Conflict is always painful and challenging and um, has a destructive element to it that is, is terrible. It's like a terrible piece of life. 
And yet, there's an, there's an other side of conflict. And that like, as a human being, we're meant, we are meant to learn through conflict. And, and that's where I'm trying to get with this kind of contemplation of ahimsa. So that ahimsa, it, it partially means entering into a very conscious relationship with conflict, not avoiding conflict or trying to become so good that we never encounter conflict. And in the James Hillman article, he, he starts it off with this idea of what he calls primal trust. There's a certain trust that we, a naive trust in life that's sort of built in, and he's relating it to like the Garden of Eden. But, but that primal trust is by necessity needs to be broken and through betrayal. And, that, and that's like this big piece of conflict within human relationships is that we trust each other and then betrayal happens of some sort. We break that trust in, in one way or another. The breaking of trust that leads to conflict happens um, for unskillful reasons, like that um, for when we are selfish, when we're greedy, when the um, what's called the kleshas, the um, root causes of pain, when we are acting out of those types of behaviors that are born out of those afflictions will lead to betrayal and, um, and to breaking trust with people. So there's a certain amount of unskillful behavior that brings about um, that we hurt. Uh, we hurt others. We hurt ourselves. So ahimsa then means to minimize that. Okay? So it's when it says non-harming, you could add the little parentheses to minimize um, harm or to maximize non-harming through, through practice by having you, this, this daily practice that you, where you become aware you, and become open to yourself, to how, what you feel, what you, uh, you're open to your conscience, and you can self-reflect and open to um, kind of examining your actions and behaviors and the effect you're having on others and on yourself. Okay, so, so there's this aspect. But with this idea, though, that we're supposed to learn through conflict, then even when we do our very best, we will still hurt others and ourselves. Because life, that's what it's asking of us. It's asking us to, to commit to loving others, to being in relationship, even though it's inevitable that we are going to hurt them and they are going to hurt us through betrayal. And whew, that's just so like, and so th then, and then th that's really this cool thing where the James Hillman breaks it down. And so he's, he kind of goes into, so what do we do when we have done our best to minimize our selfishness and causing harm from that? And yet it still happens. Either we're, we betray or we're betrayed. Then what's our protocol? And this is another aspect of ahimsa. So how are we going to resolve conflict or how are we going to encounter the conflict? So he goes through a kind of list of negative consequences of being betrayed. 
And we're talking about by, um, by a friend, a spouse, a teacher, a coworker, a superior, um, could be any relationship, uh, could be uh, through social media, a political interaction, could be anything, right? So the, the, the sort of negative reaction to conflict, he gives um, like four categories, and I'll just give them to you. Revenge, denial, cynicism, and self-betrayal. Okay, so the obvious, when you feel betrayed, when you feel that conflict is upon you, it's natural that you want revenge. Ahimsa is telling you to hold back, to understand that that is most likely not the most skillful way to encounter conflict or to resolve it or to get a peaceful outcome which you might desire. So denial is, um, it's kind of, it's like a denial of the other person, of their, uh, their viewpoint, their reality, uh, it's like a judgment of them, uh, to, like figuring out ways to, to devalue them, where they're coming from and what they're experiencing, okay? And so it's another unskillful way of encountering conflict and where ahimsa is asking you to um, me to go to look when when I want revenge when I want to deny the other person's reality and just go that like whatever that's just you know that's that viewpoint is crazy or stupid or uh, you know there's a million little angles we can put to devalue another person when we get into conflict with them especially when we feel betrayed by them or when they are accusing us, or we're not seeing eye to eye. And then cynicism is another one. We become sort of jaded on the other person, and we also become jaded on, just basically jaded, that on human relationships and that, that you're, you can never really um, put yourself out there and trust that you'll be received well. It's kind of like getting very tough in response to being betrayed. That you, do, you don't trust because no one deserves your trust. And then he, the last one he says is the worst, and it's this um, self-betrayal. So it, it leads to, because what he says is that like this, uh, this whole idea of primal trust, that this that the kind of Garden of Eden, this idyllic world where there's no conflict and, and, and this is primal trust with other so that, and with life itself. That, and that like the, the other person, your, your lover, your friend, whoever they are, they'll, they'll never let you down. They'll always um, understand exactly where you, you're coming from they, and appreciate your motives, your viewpoints. And when you feel that you have that kind of trust that, and, that, and it hasn't been broken, you're open. It's like you're, you're yourself. You're, you, you're completely expressive. And then when you get betrayed, you shut down. Then you don't open because you've been hurt. And so who you are, you, you shut down expressing, you betray your own self 
by being afraid of the hurt that's going to come because you've been let down. James Hillman quotes Carl Jung in this um, article, and one of the things he comes to, which I think is amazing and that's parallel to yoga, is that so the, there's an idea that Jung had, he called it individuation, and that was kind of like when you really work through to a, a clear psychological place, like the highest psychology is a place of individuation and where um, complexes and imitation and um, kind of things that are not authentically you uh, fall away. Yoga's highest state is called Kaivalya, which is the aloneness of seeing. And so in this very profound sense, each of us is meant to come to a place of self-trust. The further we go in life, the more we're less dependent on the material world. Anything outside of us, we don't need that to fulfill us. So when we are betrayed and life, life itself shoots us down or people let us down, important people, and we start to shut down, then that road to kind of individuation it can be interrupted, and that's what he's calling self-betrayal. So it's got this um, very large play out. Life is forcing conflict on us as a way of being a human being and learning. And so the fact that we go from this place of kind of naive trust to broken trust is how we get to Kaivalya, till we get to self-reliance. So, because if we stayed in that state of primal trust indefinitely, and right, everyone just recognized us for who we are and loved us unconditionally, then we would never have to break free of all these external um, dependencies. You partly need to be betrayed to get to trusting yourself. Um, and then, but then he goes further with it, and that the, the last, um, so he had revenge, denial, cynicism, and self-betrayal as these kind of um, negative qualities. But then, and he gets to forgiveness. Okay, so forgiveness is like the highest, or a very high human quality. He talks about that betrayal is, we can't even learn about trust and forgiveness unless we're betrayed. And so that you could even say that, that when people let us down, which is just part of human life, part of relationships, that part of what is supposed to happen there is we're supposed to learn to forgive through that. And so he spends some time like qualifying what conditions that are needed for forgiveness. So it is enough just to know that, that ahimsa, you're sort of acknowledging conflict, that it's just part of every relationship you enter into. And you're minimizing um, conflict that comes from selfish, um, from kleshas, by um, skillful behavior. And then you are entering into um, a path to forgiveness when you are betrayed or when you betray. When you're betrayed, you're looking for forgiveness 
when you are the betrayer, you're looking for atonement. Okay, so there's, there's the betrayer, the betrayed, and the betrayal. The betrayer needs to atone. So when you're in a conflict, you've got to look at the ways that you've done wrong. And th this atoning, and what Jung called it, is carrying sin. Okay, so that carrying your sins versus unloading them upon others. Okay, so it's a very important um, thing, is that part of your self-reflection is to see when you have harmed another person through your actions, um, either through your unskillful behavior or from a, 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 a more, a deeper place that you did your very best, but it still happened. There's um, your own personal process of um, self-interest in coming to forgiveness because, because these um, revenge, denial, cynicism, self-betrayal, they all eat at you. They, they destroy you in, from the inside out, right? And they make you, they close you off to life. Um, and then there is the other person, too. And, and if, we, if we acknowledge that conflict is simply part of human interaction, then we will be more apt to forgive when, when conflict arises even when we've been wronged, right? So he does, James Hillman does talk about this need that the ideal circumstance is both kind of hold this remembrance and they agree, like there's a betrayer and a betrayed and that that took place. And I think that is not a, it's not a, always an outcome that's available. And um, I think that like the Me Too um, stuff is, definitely showing that, that, and one of the most painful aspects about it is to have, um, to not have, to not be acknowledged, to not have the betrayer or the abuser hold that space and try to atone. And that is so deeply challenging for a person that feels betrayed. And so, in a yogic context and in a spiritual context then, Somehow you can't wait for that perfect um, situation where there's two parties holding a remembrance of an event that, right, that resolves it nicely. And so there's some very um, individual work that you have to do that's not dependent on the other person's re response and um, that have to do with, like I said, your self-interest in coming to forgiveness and dropping the animosity and for your own health and um, physical, psychological, energetic. But then there's also this Kaivalya element that the external world exists for you to learn and to kind of feed on and absorb and digest to come to a place where you are self-reliant. You're still in human relationships. You still hurt and are hurt, but the, the effect is is less, and the, the amount of hurt and the, the volume of hurt can be minimized. Okay, so that's about what I have for you on this. Um, I, I find it so important right now to live in uh, a study of, of conflict, 
of um, broken trust and resolution and um, really taking the time to go within yourself so that you are a skillful party in any, um, any interaction, any in relationship that you are involved in and also any um, conflict that comes up that you're, the, whatever peace is to be had, whatever resolution, whatever forgiveness, you're, you're, the, you're available, you're open to it and you're looking for that and seeking it. All right, so in closing, I wanna read you a little something I wrote. Um, so here goes. As the root principle of yoga, you could say that ahimsa is to refuse to say no to your life and life itself in the midst of all obstacles and suffering. And the massive vibratory power of the syllable Om is a cosmic yes, a grand eternal affirmation of life and creativity that resounds throughout the entire cosmos perpetually and unceasingly. Ahimsa and the syllable Om go together like the restful silence of the dark void and the healing, illumination, warmth, and radiance of the sun's rays. Both proclaim that the Swarupa, the intrinsic essence of life, is bliss. And so, when we don't fall into these negative coping mechanisms in the face of conflict, two important things happen. So one, we're able to better empathize with others. We become better conduits for peacemaking and better individuals, partners, and citizens. Secondly, our own convictions crystallize. So we become more clear about what we're standing up for. So we stop wasting our energy on matters that do not belong at the heart of whatever brought on the conflict. We become better agents for bringing about positive change and for realizing our visions for transforming the world we live in. So conflict is essential to human growth and often fighting for something is worthy and necessary. But Ahimsa reminds us that each fight must be conducted according to strict rules of propriety, humanity, and love. Uh, thank you for joining me for this installment of the Asana Kitchen podcast. My Yoga Sutras course starts July 22nd. You can register on my website.